Welcome to the CMB Fantasy Football League Podcast. Welcome back into another edition of the CMB Fantasy Football League Podcast. It is Friday, May 3rd, episode 111. I've got Zach Henson and Brian Franklin with me on this Friday evening. Brian, how are you doing? Doing excellent. How about you? Hey, doing well. Zach, I know we're, we're going to talk about a draft recap. So um, I know you like to wait until the fantasy season starts to learn more about these rookies. Um, but I hope you can kind of tag along with some of these topics here. Let's do it. All right. So we will start here. It's, it's Friday night. Like I said, we're doing this a little later than, um, you know, we usually will record on a Thursday night. But uh, I thought this would be a good excuse to uh, hang out with the guys here and talk about last week's draft that was in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, from everything that we saw, and we'll just we'll talk about it later, obviously, Brian, but from everything that was covered, and I think you were actually there, it was a, a huge success. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a, it is a uh, very unique experience, I will say that. I've, I've been to events before. They're mostly concerts where, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with people for hours, uh, and, and this one is, is kind of different from those. Yeah, I would agree. I, it was... To me, I mean, with the amount of people that were there, I think they said it was an average of about 200,000 people each night. The first night, obviously, being the most crowded. I was there for Thursday and Friday, and both nights, I never felt trapped or I never felt like I was, um, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people, even though that's what it was, really. But it it was comfortable. Uh, I wasn't too far back. And even if you were far back, there were these large monitors. So it was really just a, a great experience overall. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just so amazed with that temporary stage that they built right there on the riverfront. That was an impressive structure to be put up in, in so few days. Um, just, it was an amazing experience. We will talk more about that when we do our draft recap here in a little bit. But before we do that, let's take a trip around the league. Let's take a trip around the league. I mean, the main story of the NFL right now really is, is just the offseason. For some people, the offseason doesn't start until after the draft when things are kind of like you know, you're signing your undrafted rookies and you're bringing all these rookies into camp. This is when the offseason technically starts for some people in their eyes. But uh, outside of the draft and, and how that went last week, the biggest story right now is Tyreek Hill, the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver, who I don't even know where to start when you start talking about this. I don't want to get anything wrong and be insensitive, but – Uh, essentially Tyree Kill's son, uh, I think is four or five years old, uh, suffered a broken arm and uh, the reports, you know, the uh, alleged reports are that it came at the hands of Tyree Kill. And so uh, he's been suspended from team play and team activities with the Kansas City Chiefs. And right now everything's kind of in the hands of attorneys and the Chiefs and kind of deciding Tyree Kill's fate. So uh, Brian, how do you even unpack this Tyree Kill story? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I just don't see how without some kind of really sincere uh, both apology and accountability for this that, that anybody could ever justify uh, having them him on their team again. Uh, and even in that case, I, I don't know. I mean, I would have to know more about the circumstances, and, and I'm sure a lot of stuff is going to come out through the legal process about what those circumstances were. But this none of this stuff sounds good and then the leaked audio too none of it sounds good yeah the leaked audio brian's talking about was uh recorded actually by the mother of uh tyree kill's child and i mean essentially without him saying it in his own words that he did it 
he's kind of threatening the mother. So in, in the audio is terrible. We won't play it, but uh, yeah, just kind of a big, uh, that's the big story right now. And, and these types of problems seem to have followed Tyree kill, you know, before he was in the draft, he was kicked off the team uh, out of the program at Oklahoma state for an incident where he uh, choked his pregnant girlfriend and punched her and he got um, basically sent to the NAIA. So his uh, path to the league was kind of a shock that he was allowed in the NFL. Uh, so this is something that I, you know, I, I honestly would not be surprised to see him not a member of the Kansas city chiefs or even a player in the NFL next season, but let's move on here. Let's talk about the, the chiefs still uh, Tyree killed quarterback. Patrick Mahomes was named the Madden 20 cover uh, athlete that was revealed actually at the draft. Uh, you could kind of see it. I think it was on the same. Um, was it on the NFL network stage or maybe on the ABC stage? I can't remember, but it was on one of the rooftops and uh, that was on Thursday night at the draft. Um, so Zach, I feel like you're our resident Madden curse expert. We talk about this quite a bit. You're a big, you know, proponent, believer of the curse. Uh, Madden 20, Patrick Mahomes just won the MVP last season. Is he cursed in 2020 or 2019? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, didn't take long for the, the Tyree kill news to come out. And it's, uh, unfortunately, it's going to be downhill from here for him. I, to me, I feel like the, the, the curse over the last three seasons has kind of died off. I mean, last year, Antonio Brown on the cover, obviously we, we know what happened at the end of the season. He missed the last game, and then he gets traded away to Oakland. But, I mean, things work, worked out for him. He's one of the highest paid receivers in the league. He got a huge deal in Oakland. He actually led the NFL in touchdown receptions last year. So I don't know if you could say A.B. had the curse. The year before him was Tom Brady, and that season he was on the Madden cover – he actually had Jimmy G traded out of town. Uh, so at the age of 40, he convinced uh, the ownership to trade away Jimmy G, his, his uh, uh, Wally Pip, if you will. Um, and they did lose the Super Bowl that year, but he made the Super Bowl at age 40. So I, I mean, don't know. If, Tom Brady's immune to it. It's okay. That's true. The year before that, though, Gronk, his tight end, was on the cover of Madden. Back-to-back -back Patriots, a little odd, but he only played in eight games the season he was on the Madden cover. But – the Patriots did win the Super Bowl against the Falcons. So I feel like a tide is turning, and this will be the year we find out if the Madden curse is real. Uh, Brian, are you a believer? I'm not. Uh, I'm not the Kool-Aid swallower that uh, Zach is here. But, um, yeah, I, I can see a little bit. But I, I'm not a real believer in, in, in those, kinds of, uh, those kinds of situations like Madden curses and, and that kind of thing. A lot of Titans fans believe in it because Eddie George had – he never went to a Pro Bowl. He went to four Pro Bowls, and then the year after he's on the Madden cover, he had like – that was the fumble against the Ravens, and he never went back to another Pro Bowl, and then he retired uh, after playing with the Cowboys. And then Vince Young, after his rookie season, pretty much was terrible the rest of his career. So uh, I think Titans fans believe in it, but it's also, man, it's, it's the Titans. So, you know, it's hard to blame Madden for the, you know, their misfortunes. Uh, but the next story here, this is another receiver. Doug Baldwin reportedly is likely going to retire. This is per Mike Garofolo of NFL Network. Uh, Doug Baldwin's had a lot of injuries, and I would know he's been on my fantasy team the last two seasons. He's essentially useless last year. I think I took him in like the fourth round. Uh, but Doug Baldwin, though, that's, it's surprising because he's not that old. I think he was drafted in 2011. Uh, but just a lot of injuries. He's a guy that I, I would say he's been one of the most underrated pieces of Seattle's team uh, in, in that span. Of course, the defense in Seattle was, was you know, what put them in, all, in those two Super Bowls and, and always contending. But 
I mean, he was Russell Wilson's number one receiver. Uh, Zach, were you shocked to see this news about Baldwin? Yeah, I really was. I, uh, I mean, I knew he was injured last year. I remember you having him and stuff, but didn't expect to see that he was considering retirement. So, yeah, it, it was surprising. And we'll talk later, Brian and I will, about the draft, about some of the guys that Seattle went after. But I think they had this in mind before the draft uh, because they went with receiver in rounds two and three. So it uh, looks like Seattle's prepared to move on from Baldwin, but it's, a, it's kind of a shocking move. Uh, and then the biggest story from the draft, uh, of course, the Arizona Cardinals take Kyler Murray first overall, which we'll discuss, uh, which left them in a position that they needed to trade away their first-round quarterback that they traded up for last season, Josh Rosen. And that team was the Miami Dolphins. They uh, received Josh Rosen for just a second-round pick th- in this year's draft, and I think maybe like a third next year. Uh, but that was the big trade of that draft. Uh, Brian, what do you make of, of the Rosen deal? You feel like it should have been done before the draft? Uh, yeah, I kind of felt like it should have been done before the draft. I, I thought that that was kind of interesting that, that they waited to make that trade. That was really more about Josh Rosen than it was about the picks that they waited uh, until, you know, everything that's swirling around the draft was going on to uh, communicate with Arizona about that or, or Arizona communicating with Miami, however it happened. But I did think it was kind of interesting that it happened during the draft. Yeah, I would agree. And it, it was, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was on day two, actually, uh, the, the trade for Rosen. Arizona definitely got hosed, in my opinion. I think they've just, they've been one of the most embarrassing franchises over the last couple of years um, between all the moves they've made and, and mistakes they've made in free agency and in the draft. I mean, Steve Kine, the GM, his DUI last summer, they just, Mistake after mistake, they've. It kind of reminds me of like the 2014, 2015 Tennessee Titans. Um, but man, if you're Miami, this is great. I mean, Rosen could be your franchise quarterback this year. You could find that out. And if he's not, he's still pretty cheap, and you could move on and, and try again next year with this quarterback class coming in next season. So I, I feel like Miami won this one handedly. Yeah, I definitely think that having a, a guy that can come in and potentially be your franchise caliber quarterback and he still has so many years left on his rookie deal. Mm-hmm. It's just tremendous value uh, in terms of structuring the salary cap and all of that. Um, it's just, I think it was a real home run for the Dolphins. I don't want to spend too much time on this next story here, Brian, but Elijah Holyfield uh, running back out of Georgia that we talked about, who came out as a junior, he signs as an undrafted free agent on a deal with the Carolina Panthers. And so uh, this is a guy we both kind of beat up on because of his terrible combine performance and not a lot of production really, even at Georgia. Came out a year early. He was one of 49 early entries that went undrafted. So 49 of 144 early entries went undrafted. That was per Max Olson of The Athletic. So 49 guys came out as redshirt sophomores or juniors and uh, and got drafted in the remaining you know almost 100 went undrafted they can't go back to school they're kind of in no no man's land um so were you surprised at all brian to see a team not take a chance on holyfield i thought he would go a little bit later in the draft yeah i was you and i were both kind of hard on him in our last podcast but i I think he is a guy that could be somebody like a legarrett blunt a powerful guy who could potentially be a goal line type of back and those guys are worth, I think, a sixth or seventh round pick to take a flyer on, and maybe he can be something more than that. But I do think it's shocking that number 
of early entries that went undrafted. You got to you got to question who are these guys listening to uh, throughout the draft, the the pre-draft process. Well, let's talk about some of the guys who were drafted and then do a little NFL draft recap. Uh, viewership and attendance set record highs, as I'm sure you guys have already heard these numbers. Over 600,000 people in downtown Nashville over the span of those uh, three days for the draft, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. 6.1 million uh, average viewers at any point uh, between ESPN, ABC, and NFL Network. That was a, a record high. And so that's kind of an average um, of, across the entire draft. Whereas the top you know, viewing numbers were 11 million viewers at one point during Thursday evening. That was also a high. Uh, the 6.1 million viewer average tops last year's high, which was the highest previously of 5.5 million. So really just insane numbers um, for the draft and, and really a testament to how well Nashville performed. Brian, I think we talked about how Nashville would do with this draft. And I mean, we're a little biased because it's in our, in our backyard, but it felt like with everything that they put into this, it was either going to go really, really well, or it could have been a massive bomb. And, and I think we both agree that Nashville really uh, earned some respect with this. Yeah, definitely. I, I think if you were there, you noticed how much of it was really outdoors. So they kind of did set themselves up for, for it to be potentially ruined by the weather. But we really only had that little bit of rain on Thursday night. And then Friday and Saturday were both beautiful. Yep. And so, you know, it really gave Nashville an opportunity to show off uh, everything that downtown is now. And, and, you know, people think of the country music and the honky tonks and all of that stuff. But there's a lot going on down there. And, and it, was, it was a really great time. And it was, it was a great time to see all these different fans of all these different teams uh, be able to come together. And pretty much everybody was in a, in a pretty good mood, except for maybe some of these picks that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, and so and if it felt like this draft was longer than most, you're probably right. Um, so according to Peter King's uh, his NBC Football Morning in America column that he puts out on Monday mornings, the NFL told teams to wait before calling draft picks. And that was reported, uh, the, the Raiders GM Mike Mayock said that they wanted to make their pick of Josh Jacobs. They were ready to take the Alabama running back at number 24. And the uh, Mayock told Gruden, he said, hold off because the league has asked us to wait at least five minutes before calling in the pick. So some of these picks were known, you know, obviously ahead of time. I mean, Kyler Murray, that pick, how long have, have the Cardinals known they were taking Murray? But uh, these picks, they were told by the league to wait five minutes. So anybody with conspiracy theories that uh, the TV broadcast needed time to kind of stretch it out, you know, your, your questions were answered with that uh, in that column by Peter King. So, um, that was that was something that I was interested to see. Just kind of, uh, I don't know, the broadcast of the draft really is is a bigger part than the actual draft itself. And so I, I guess I wasn't too shocked to see that. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't mind it so much either. Uh, I like to be able to hear a little bit of that commentary and learn learn more about some of these picks that maybe I hadn't researched as much as I thought I had, and 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 see some of those inner workings of uh, what's going on inside some of these team offices. What, some inner workings that I want to get inside of in some of these front offices is definitely Tampa Bay because Buccaneers GM Jason Light drafted his second kicker in four seasons. And that's just incredible to me. They, they drafted Robert Aguayo. They traded up in 2015 to draft Robert Aguayo in the second round, which is just totally bizarre. And they do it again this year. Uh, they, don't, they don't take a kicker quite as early. I think it was like the fifth round, still too early. 
Um, but this tweet from Warren Sharp, I thought was really great. It said, before drafting any players on offense, the Bucks drafted a kicker. Tampa Bay was outscored in 11 games last year, but not a single game was lost due to a missed field goal or an extra point. So I don't understand the, the you know, obviously they need a kicker because they have not had stability at kicker since, what, Martin Gramatica. So I, I get the, the need for a kicker, but, man, I just don't understand passing up offensive playmakers for another high-round kicker. Brian, what do you make of uh, the Bucks GM drafting his second kicker in four seasons? I just think it's insane. I, I, I don't I don't understand why you would ever draft a kicker. I don't understand why you'd ever draft a kicker at all based off of all the kickers in the league who went undrafted. There's so many of those guys out there, but maybe there's sometimes an excuse to draft a really elite, seemingly can't-miss kicker in the seventh round. But so much of kicking is mental, and you just don't know what's going on in between the guy's ears. And so I don't, I don't know why you would waste a draft pick on that. We talked about some teams that were unhappy with, with their team or some fans that were unhappy with their team's draft. Tampa Bay fans maybe being among those, but teams that were really happy or fans that were really happy with their team uh, was the Washington Redskins for the first time in a long time. It looked like they nailed this draft, uh, but they did take a running back pretty early, earlier than people thought. Uh, and so they draft Bryce Love, who, Brian, I know you said you really liked the running back out of Stanford who – kind of had been marred with injuries for most of his college career. Um, But he's added to the Washington backfield. And this is just insane to me. So uh, now Bryce Love, he joins Samaj P. Ryan, Chris Thompson, Darius Geis, and Adrian Peterson. Brian, when you look at those five backs that I just mentioned, is AD still the lead back? And is there even anybody amongst those names I mentioned that are even worth drafting in fantasy this season? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who is worth drafting just yet. I, we got to wait to see how the preseason plays out with these guys. I can't imagine that it's going to be Adrian Peterson, even though I, I do think he's got a little something left in the tank. But you got to see what you have with Darius guys and, and try to at least see what you have with Bryce Love, too. I'm looking at these names and I'm trying to think, Jordan, have all of these guys torn their ACL at some point? It seems like every single one of these guys has torn his ACL at some point. You're right. I, I think I think you're right. I know Thompson for sure. Geist did last season as a rookie. Peterson, obviously, you know, in 2012 when he had that monster comeback. Uh, Bryce Law, like we said. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. Moving across the coast here, the LA Rams drafted a running back pretty high. They take the the Memphis running back that we talked about, Daryl Henderson, at number 70 overall. Brian, how do you think this affects Todd Gurley's draft stock? I know it's it's early still, but I th- I think L.A. is pretty concerned about his knee. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely what's going on here. Uh, they they probably weren't very happy with what C.J. Anderson was bringing to the table, and he's starting to get up there in age too. So they wanted to get somebody who was a good fit in the zone blocking scheme, a, a one cut, uh, so to speak, runner. And uh, Daryl Henderson was definitely the best of those in this draft. So I, I think he could have uh, potentially a, a really good split with Gurley as long as Gurley's knee is healthy or, or, or maybe even if Gurley's knee isn't uh, back up to where it was uh, during the regular season last year. Uh, I, I think, I think Her- Henderson is really going to get some playing time. Staying in that division in the NFC West, a team we've already talked about today, but the, the Arizona Cardinals, 
Um, they get the our favorite receiver from the draft. They get Hakeem Butler, who fell to the first pick of the third round. Um, Brian, I was really shocked to see the Butler fall. I kind of thought, like, you know, I, I wanted the Titans to take him in the second round, uh, which they end up – we'll talk with the receiver they end up taking. But uh, Hakeem Butler, a guy I didn't think would make it past the mid-second round, he falls to the third and so clearly this just kind of proves that the NFL was not as high on Akeem Butler as maybe draft Twitter was. Yeah, it seems like uh, most of the complaints about Akeem Butler have been with with the drops. It seems like he, he dropped a lot of passes. But I kind of think that a lot of that was just a lack of concentration. And, mm-hmm. and that's one that you can fix pretty quickly, especially when you're, when you're going to a team with one of the greatest of all time in terms of concentration and Larry Fitzgerald. Yep. And he's going to get a year with Larry Fitzgerald to try to teach him how to be a professional wide receiver and mold him into hopefully a similar to player as uh, what Larry Fitzgerald was. Yeah, no, I agree. And the trade we talked about earlier where the Cardinals moved Josh Rosen, what they got in in, uh, in that trade was a second-round pick in this year's draft, and they take Andy Isabella, the small slot receiver from UMass, and they actually take him before they get Hakeem Butler. So on their board, clearly, they valued Andy Isabella over Hakeem Butler. Brian, do you, know any, do you remember anything we talked about about Andy Isabella? Did we even talk about him? Yeah, I don't know that we talked about him, but I, I knew a lot about him. He's he, Ran in the four threes. He's blazing fast. Is really productive. He's a, he's a smaller type wide receiver. Right. So he's a good contrast to Akeem Butler. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be an outside or a slot guy though. I, he was somebody I liked, but I didn't like him as much as Akeem Butler. I thought he was more of a third or fourth round type of receiver. So I mean, in turn, because there was there was another pick involved in that trade, but really the the Cardinals give away Josh Rosen for Hakeem for Andy Isabella. So. Uh, Isabella better uh, better produce because you know that that's what that trade. Ten years later, when we look at the trade, we're gonna we're gonna look at Isabella traded for uh, Josh Rosen. So um, kind of a surprising move that the the Cardinals go back to back receivers there. But you mentioned Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, this might be his last season. So uh, we'll see what what happens there in Arizona and how fast that offense can get going. Uh, but the receiver that we talked about the most during that last podcast was the one that I think you liked the least. He was, he was the boomer bust guy that you talked about and you, you said bust, but the Ole Miss receiver DK Metcalf falls all the way to number 64 overall to the Seattle Seahawks. Brian, this is a guy that we had heard was mocked to Buffalo at number nine overall. I, I mean, what are your thoughts on him falling all the way into the second round? Well, I, th- I think he's he's a better value down there than he would be at number nine overall. But I still am just – I don't even know that he's worth it at, at number 64 overall in the second round. He's just a guy that – I see him as a person who can only run – or as a wide receiver who can only run two routes, a go route and, and maybe a few posts every now and then. Because if you ask him to run any routes – that require him to make a quick cut, he's just not capable of it. I still, even at the end of the second round, I don't like him. Yeah, and I feel kind of, uh, I don't know, not not naive, but we we didn't talk enough about A.J. Brown. I think maybe you had made the point that he was probably the better Ole Miss prospect, but the, the conversation, not just by us, but by everybody leading up to the draft was, was D.K. Metcalf mostly for uh, the photos of him with a shirt off and, and everything being that combine warrior. But, uh, the, you know, the Titans, obviously, we'll talk about this in a bit, but they draft A.J. Brown at number 51 overall. 
And who knows, he might be, he was twice as productive as Metcalf, maybe three times more productive. And he might even be twice or three times better. The prospect will time will tell on that. But uh, yeah, Metcalf, the guy who was talked about the most ends up falling back. And I think he was the sixth receiver taken. So uh, kind of shocking there with Metcalf. Who We talked here at the beginning of the podcast, Tyreek Hill. It looks like the Chiefs might have found their replacement um, or maybe their contingency plan if, if Tyreek Hill is removed from the Chiefs. They draft Nicole Hardman, the receiver from Georgia, who is lightning fast, not as fast as Tyree Kill, but they get him at number 56 overall. Uh, could be that possible Tyree Kill replacement. Brian, do you, you see Hardman being a good fit there with Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I do. I, I think he, he definitely does sound like a Tyree Kill replacement. Uh, quicker, fast, smaller, really good in the return game. He He seems like he would fit right into that slot and and I think that's exactly what they were thinking with this pick next one here this was actually the first receiver taken in the draft this was Hollywood Brown who goes number 25 to the Baltimore Ravens really an interesting receiver room in Baltimore now for a quarterback in Lamar Jackson who really doesn't throw the ball that much Uh, but Hollywood Brown he joins Willie Sneed Miles Boykin, another receiver they took in this draft from uh, from Notre Dame that we really liked, and Seth Roberts. And this is after they dumped Michael Crabtree and John Brown. So Hollywood Brown really becomes the number one receiver in Baltimore right away. Uh, do you see this as a good fit with Lamar Jackson? You know, I want to say yes. And I think there's a lot of things that he can do to help them in that offense. But until they start uh, spreading the ball around more in the passing game, I, I really don't see him as a great fit because if you've got this run-heavy offense, a lot of it, there's a lot going up the middle, yes, but you've got to run more to the outside too. And one of the, the big keys to whether an outside run is either a tackle for a loss or a big gain is how your receivers are blocking down the field. And I don't see Hollywood Brown doing that very well. Right. But I, I do like the pick. I do like the player a lot. Uh, but it's it's all predicated on if they're really going to open up the offense and, and let Lamar Jackson kind of turn it loose a little more than he did at the, at the end of last year. One surprising pick from the first round, I know for sure, uh, by a lot of people, uh, was the second receiver taken in this draft. This was pick number 32 at the very end to the New England Patriots. They take Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, who this is the first first-round wide receiver during the Bill Belichick era. Really uncharacteristic of him. I think Josh Gordon's returning, right? Do you know? I I don't know right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I, I think they just they want to load up some more receivers with, with Gronk leaving, uh, retiring this year. I think if they're going to make another run, they need a guy like Nikhil Harry. Do you, uh, were you surprised to see Belichick take a, a first-round receiver, Brian? Yeah, I am a little bit surprised. I like Nikhil Harry, and I thought that that was a, a, a good value at that particular pick, but – like you said, this isn't really Belichick's style. He's he's usually going more for the under-the-radar type of wide receivers. Um, one of the lessons he might have learned a little bit from Randy Moss is he, he doesn't like prima donnas at the position. I, I don't think Nikhil Harry is that type of guy, though. I think a lot of first-round uh, wide receivers end up being those types of guys. But I don't think Nikhil Harry is that type. I, I think he could probably mesh pretty well with Tom Brady. But for fantasy purposes, I don't trust anything that ever comes out of Belichick's mouth or what it looks like he is going to do or is supposed to do. He just 
he always goes against the grain. So I wouldn't really know what to expect from Nikhil Harry next year. Well, speaking of fantasy purposes for rookies, a guy that I was surprised to see this, but this person is being mocked as the number one rookie to be picked up in rookie dynasty leagues. This is the first running back taken in this draft, Josh Jacobs from Alabama, the guy that we thought would go first amongst the running backs. He goes to the Oakland Raiders at 24. I didn't see this before the draft. I didn't really make this comparison, but some people I've listened to have said that John Gruden absolutely loved Doug Martin for whatever reason, and apparently Gruden feels he looks at Josh Jacobs the way he saw Doug Martin. So, Brian, do you think that Josh Jacobs can make a fantasy impact right away? I definitely think he can make a fantasy impact right away. I, I think he's fresh. He didn't get a ton of carries at Alabama. And and I think he's just such a complete back. We talked about this a lot in the in the pre-draft podcasts. He's just such a complete back who can do a lot of different things. And so I think he'll stay on the field a lot. And and the one who's on the field the most is, is going to get the most opportunity for touches. I think he will be and will have the highest fantasy impact uh, among all rookies next season. We've been pretty spoiled the last three seasons. We've had, you know, high pick running backs make a huge impact right away. Zeke Elliott a couple of years ago in 2016, last year with Saquon Barkley. Would you put him in that class as impactful rookies or see somewhere kind of closer to the middle? I, I think he's a tier below those guys, both in terms of talent and in terms of what to expect from his actual numbers that he puts up. We talked about the Iowa tight ends. They both went um, pretty early, maybe one earlier than we even uh, anticipated, but the Detroit Lions take TJ Hawkinson at number eight and the Denver Broncos traded back actually, but they take the other uh, Iowa tight end, Noah Fant at number 20. I was not shocked at all to see these Iowa tight ends go in the first round uh, as expected, Uh, but rookie tight ends, really low impact as rookies traditionally. Um, tight end that position just in general since 2000 no rookie tight end has caught more than six touchdowns caught for more than 900 uh, receiving yards or more than 75 catches as a rookie I was kind of surprised to see that stat but um, I don't know I, I, I don't think do you think Hawkinson or Fan either of those guys breaks that mold Brian I don't think so I, I think I, like we said in the pre-draft process I like both of those guys and I think that they'll both be impactful, but I'm not sure that it'll be this year. For whatever reason, maybe it has to do with you have to learn both the blocking schemes and the route trees. It just takes, it takes a little while longer for tight ends to really acclimate to the NFL. Yeah, I think so too. And Josh Norris, who's a guy that I, I really like, he is part of uh, Roto World. Um, their fantasy coverage does a great job. He did a lot of pre-draft and post-draft podcasts that I had listened to and where I got a lot of my um, you know, analysis on a lot of these prospects. But he's made some really good points recently where he said that really we as, as fans and as fantasy players, we've been spoiled by tight ends on their second contracts here recently. You know, perfect example right here in Nashville, Delaney Walker, Greg Olson, you know, he left the Bears and went to the Panthers. Jared Cook with like his third and fourth team. So we've, we've just been spoiled by tight ends uh, when they're like four, five, six years into the league and having these monstrous careers on the back end. Um, so I, I think he, he made a good point about some of these rookie tight ends. Maybe we should kind of tamper expectations. Definitely. I completely agree. All right, talking about the, the top three quarterbacks, we'll just stick to the first round here. And I, I will say the fourth quarterback that I thought would go in the first round, Drew Locke, uh, falls to the second round. Um, so 
little surprised to see that. But Kyler Murray, of course, goes number one overall to the Cardinals. We talked about him a little bit already. And then the surprise of the entire first round was Daniel Jones going number six overall to the New York Giants. Brian, what is general manager Dave Gettleman doing? I don't know, other than to say, obviously, Daniel Jones was was his guy. He was the guy that he foresees as his franchise quarterback, and he didn't want to take any chances at 17, and so he drafted him at six. And if it works out that, and I feel like I'm repeating what a lot of analysts have said here, but I, I subscribe to what they're saying, that if it works out and he does turn out to be a franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter if you got him at 17 or six or one, then it was the right pick to make, regardless of where he, everybody was mocking him to go. I have a funny story, and I will keep it short for the sake of the podcast, but on Thursday before the first round, I met up with uh, Jacob Adams. We went to the draft together, we, and a, a friend of mine that I work with is a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I don't think he had any – none of us knew that Daniel Jones was going to uh, the, the Giants at number six. That was not even in anyone's thought. Uh, maybe at 16 when they had that second pick, but no one thought he'd go at number six. And so they had a fan event at like two in the afternoon on some random stage over by Nissan Stadium. And they said, come get in line. You could meet a player. And it, it kept rotating which, which prospect was going to be there. And I walk up to the line. We're all walking up together. And there's no line really for this uh, engagement with a player. And it's Duke quarterback Daniel Jones. And he's just standing awkwardly on the stage. And no one's taking photos like with like a, there's no photographer, but there is a person standing there. And if you hand them your cell phone, you can get a picture with Daniel Jones. And it was the strangest thing. Like people were just like, it was like a revolving door. You walk up, shake his hand, get a quick photo with your own cell phone and then like walk away. And so uh, my friend, Matt, who's a Cowboys fan, ironically takes the photo with uh, the future quarterback. And I even made the comment to Jacob and this guy said, you know, let's just let's just get our photo with this guy. Like, what if he's the next, you know, Peyton Manning or the next Tom Brady? We can say we got our photo with him. And so they're like, yeah, why not? There's no line. So Jacob Adams goes through. He gets his photo taken with Daniel Jones kind of awkwardly because it's Jacob. And <laughs> I walk up. I'm next in line. And I go to hand this woman my cell phone. And she's like, hey, sir, your uh, your camera's not working on your phone. And I'm like standing right next to Daniel Jones and I look at him and I look at her and I'm like, Oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And she was like, you want to try it again? And I was like, yeah, real quick. So I, I get my phone back and I'm trying everything. And like, I don't know, my camera app is just like not working. It's crashing. And so I, she gives me my phone back and she kind of turns around and she's like, do you know anybody around here that could, you know, take your photo and, and uh, maybe text it to you. And Jacob and my friend have already like walked away and, and I look at her and I'm like, no, that's all right. And I walk back toward Daniel Jones and he shakes my hand and he says, hey, I'm Daniel. And I said, uh, uh, Jordan. And I kind of pat him on the shoulder and then I just walked away. And it was like <laughs> one of the most awkward things I've, that's happened to me in the last year. Oh my God. The best quote that I have seen about Daniel Jones is, and maybe you guys have seen this one, Daniel Jones looks like a guy who would be cast to play <laughs> Eli Manning in a movie about Peyton's life. I saw that. Great. So good. It's like one of those movies, like, um, what's the, what's the movie that they used to play in churches about like the, the football coach, like really cheesy. Brian, do you, do you remember the movie that I'm talking about at all? 
was that the Facing the Giants movie? Is that what that was? Oh my goodness! It's like it's perfect. It's uncanny. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, the irony yeah. in there. Yeah. So Daniel Jones looks like the person who would play Eli Manning in a Facing the Giants like movie. I, I think it's perfect. I don't know when he'll start. I mean, he's a guy who uh, Dave Gettleman said could be on the bench for three more years. It's however long Eli Manning wants to play, which I think is ridiculous. And I saw a article leading up to the draft that actually compared Daniel Jones to Eli Manning. They're very similar. Um, and apparently Daniel Jones, and you guys are going to laugh at this, someone um, did a comparison and they said he's like Eli Manning, only with less pizzazz. Have you ever thought of Eli Manning in the word pizzazz? That's the last. That's the, that's the last adjective I've ever used to right. describe him. Yeah. Listen, we need the photo of Jacob and Daniel Jones so that uh, Suggs can possibly use this in their logo somehow. I love that idea. That's actually gold. Yeah. So that that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, Jacob and the Giants franchise quarterback Daniel Jones. Yeah. Uh, the third quarterback who everyone thought would actually be the second quarterback taken to the Giants is Dwayne Haskins, who goes to the division rival, the Washington Redskins, at number 15. Uh, they, they, cut, they did a cutaway, and they showed Haskins at his draft party. And let's just say he was not overly thrilled to have fallen all the way to number 15. Brian, did you see Haskins' reaction to being picked up uh, by the Redskins there? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he, that's, that's how I would assess it as well. Um, he just looked angry in general, maybe probably not going to Washington, but like you said, the fact that he dropped so much, he looks like he's going to come into the league with a chip on his shoulder, which if you're the Giants GM, Dave Gettleman, you, you're going to have to worry about that, him going to a division rival and getting an opportunity to play against your team two times a year when he knows that you had the opportunity to take him and you didn't do it. Well, and they even showed him smirk and kind of laugh when the Giants took Daniel Jones at number six because I think he assumed that's when and where he was going to go. So, yeah, that that division all of a sudden is uh, is kind of sneaky fun to watch for some of these quarterback rivalries. And it kind of it makes me think of the – so that's the NFC East. The AFC East now, I, I just learned this yesterday, with, with the exclusion of Tom Brady, of course, uh, the first three quarterbacks taken in the 2018 draft – are now all in the AFC East. So Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen will all play each other uh, in the in the division. So six, we'll get six games worth of that stuff. Yeah, just just Brady carving those guys alive is what that's going to be. Oh, for sure. So uh, that, that kind of recaps our conversation about um, the majority of the draft. We talked about. We tried to talk about at least a little bit of, from each division. Uh, a team we always end up talking about, though, is the hometown team right here in Tennessee. That is the Tennessee Titans. And we got a really good guest. Um, we recorded this interview a few days ago, but I wanted to talk with Jim Wyatt, who is the senior writer and editor for Titans Online, somebody we've wanted to talk to for some time now. He's been covering the, the Titans for a long time. So um, this is our conversation with Jim Wyatt. It's time for the Call of the Week. We're one week removed from the NFL draft here in Middle Tennessee, and there's no better person to join us to help us recap the Tennessee Titans draft than senior writer and editor for Titans Online, Jim Wyatt. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me. Jim, you've covered the Titans since they moved from Houston in the late 90s during your days at the Tennessean. You grew up here in Nashville. How impressed were you with how your hometown handled the draft this past weekend? Well, it was unbelievable to me. I mean, I could, as you mentioned, I, this, I, this is my home. This is where I grew up. 
My father worked at the courthouse, you know, in Nashville downtown for about 40 years. And uh, I worked a job downtown a, a good part of my uh, life growing up. And uh, and I remember when downtown wasn't necessarily the place to be. And, uh, and certainly that was before, you know, the NFL came to town. So to see it all come together where Nashville was put on display, uh, you know, with the Titans kind of being a big part of the draft and seeing so many Titans fans on the streets, it was incredible. I mean, just the, the, what you saw on television, you could times it by 100 if you're there in person just because it was, it was, there was so much atmosphere, there was so much excitement. I was so excited. I mean, I, I was, I've told people before I got, you know, a couple of times right before it got started and, and you, I saw the city and saw how it looked and saw the excitement and how many people were on the streets. I got a little choked up, I have to admit, because I was so proud to see how well it was going to look. And uh, it was a special weekend. And uh, I think what happened uh, probably is going to result in this thing coming back here again. It ought to be on the list or in a rotation where it's here on a regular basis because people love to come to Nashville and uh, and the city has proven that it can pull it off. Yeah, you mentioned seeing the sights downtown. What was your vantage point for the draft? Where did you spend most of your time? Well, there was a huge buildup and all day Wednesday uh, when they had uh, you know a lot of events. I walked the streets in Nashville on Wednesday it was get, as it was getting ready. And, and really, I spent a lot of time in downtown just as it was coming up just to kind of gauge the process and there was a point maybe on Sunday or Monday where I was thinking are they going to really be ready for this because there was so much to do uh, but it came together and then on draft day itself I got down there early and I I was all over the place I and mean, I was at the red carpet I was in front of the stage I was alongside the stage in the media room it was just playing out I was in the interview rooms when the players would come off and uh, and I was kind of in the middle of the the crowd during parts of it, leading up to the Titans pick. Uh, so it was and it was something. I, and I'm so glad. I mean, I, I spent most of my draft. I spent I spent Friday and Saturday of this draft, uh, just like I spent every Friday and Saturday at the Titans facility because that's where the that's where most everything happens. That's where GM John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, and that's where that's where they spend their time in the war room. That's where the the picks will be on a conference call once they're selected. That's where all the press conferences take place once the player is picked. But for the first night, I was at the draft and in the middle of it, and it was something. And I've been to these. I, I can compare it to some of these other drafts because I was in Chicago for the draft out, you know, the, the draft outside of New York City for the first time. I was in Philadelphia. I was in Dallas, and I can say, not being biased, that this is the easily the best of all those just the way uh the city pulled it off at the excitement level jim from following your work on titans online and you know your appearances on mike keith and amy wells's uh, official titans podcast the otp during the weeks to months leading up to the draft you compiled some of the popular mock picks for the titans at number 19 who were some of those popular names that were originally mocked to the titans at 19 and how surprised were you with the the pick of jeffrey simmons well, I think Christian Wilkins was a popular pick. Dexter Lawrence was a popular pick. You saw you saw uh, a lot of you know tight ends. You know, whether it's Hawkinson or Fant. You saw some receivers or some DK Metcalfs all the way through. People were all over the board. Not a lot of people had Simmons. Uh, I was not surprised at all at that pick, to be honest with you. And, and that's 
uh, that's, he's a guy that I talk about a lot in the mailbags that I do. He's a guy we spend a lot of time talking about on the OTP. I actually wrote a story about him on the website a couple of weeks before the draft, you know, about the potential for picking him and quoted Charles Davis and Daniel J- Jeremiah in there just about what kind of pick he would be. Uh, and then I think Charles Davis is the only one of those – I did a 50-pick mock draft where I rounded up the 50, uh, 50 different guys. I think Charles Davis is the only person that had the Titans taking Simmons. Um, I, I just felt like by the time uh, that the Titans were picking at 19, that some of the other players uh, that would have been impact players were probably going to be off the board. And I thought they might have a pool of players to pick from. And I thought in that pool of players that Simmons would most likely be the highest rated guy. And you pick him and you're going to have to wait just because he's not healthy right now. But uh, I think in the long run, uh, people are going to look back and say they got a great value there because a lot of people considered him a top five, top ten pick. And I think that's where he would have been if not for the injury. I think a lot of people were shocked to see the Ole Miss receiver, A.J. Brown, still on the board at number 51. I know it's early, but what role do you see Brown playing in Arthur Smith's new offense? He seems like a receiver, really, who can line up anywhere on the field. Yeah, I think he's got a chance to compete for playing time early, and got a. Ch- I think he's got a chance to to help this team early. Yeah, I think if you watched him at Ole Miss, uh, you saw how polished he looked, and saw how productive he was leading up to the draft. There was so much talk about DK Metcalf just because of how well he did the combine, just because of you know the the shirtless photo that went viral. But Brown was the more uh, you know developed receiver of those two I thought and easily the most productive and now you add him to a group that has Corey Davis who I think is going to be even better in year three Adam Humphreys who's going to help this team uh, after playing the past four years in Tampa you've got a couple other guys in Taiwan Taylor and Tajay Sharp uh, who are now going to be fighting with other guys to get on the field and Brown's not going to make it easy for him because he's he is a heck of an athlete uh, he's a guy who has proven uh, that he's capable of making plays. So uh, I'm anxious to see. Sometimes it takes these receivers a while to develop. I've seen so many guys by the Titans who either struggled to get on the field, and that's, you know, it could be Tyrell Calico, it could be Justin Hunter early. early. Uh, you can go down the list. Doyle Green Beckham, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, some of them didn't pan out, some of them it took a while. Uh, even Kenny Brett, it took him a while before he really settled in. So I think he's got a chance, though, to, to if, if he works hard, has a good offseason uh, and a good uh, training camp, he, he could help his team in 2019. I mentioned the Titans' new offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. Smith is not new to the team, Jim, but this is his first year of calling plays. What changes, if any, should people expect from an Arthur Smith offense? Well, I think it's in a lot of ways it's going to be similar to what we saw last year. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of the terminology and some of the stuff that they ran will reappear. But uh, the thing with them is just, you know, it's kind of unpredictable just because it is his first time running the offense. And I think he's going to want to, want to put his own stamp on there, want to do things differently. You know, he'll have the chance now to decide how much Derrick Henry plays early and how much they rely on him uh, as opposed to how much they try to, 
open it up with the passing game first. So you'll see some things similar, but I do think he's going to add his own touch to it, and I'm uh, anxious to see what that is. You mentioned Derrick Henry. It's hard to believe it's already year four for him. In this contract season for Henry, how do you expect the workload to be shared between him and Deion Lewis? I think what they've said so far has led you to believe that it will look like uh, the end of last season, which is when Derrick Henry was able to have so much success because he had so many opportunities. Uh, you know, they've, they've said they plan to start the season off really relying on him, but he's going to have to be productive and he's going to have to be, uh, I think, successful when he gets his hands on the football because you can't, you know, have a repeat of what happened at the start of last season. You know, he wasn't as effective last year. I think he, his mindset changed toward the second half of last season, and that's when he had uh, his big games. And as long as he, you know, is producing and as long as the, the team is winning, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of Derrick Henry early. Of course, that's going to – they're going to have to be – they can't fall behind in games for that to happen. If they fall down, you know, a couple – a couple of times but with you know some big deficits you've almost got to abandon the run in some of those cases so the team is going to have to have success uh, in games they're going to have success when they hand them the football and if that happens I think you'll get the majority of the carries and I th- but Deion Lewis is not going to be discarded altogether they're still going to find a way to get him involved but Henry's proven he uh, he can he can produce and, Jim, last question here. We can't talk about the Titans offense without asking about number eight. This is year five for Marcus Mariota, which means it's kind of a, a pivotal season for long-term implications for both him and the franchise. With the playmakers added to the offense and some added help at, at both of the guard spots, what do you think Mariota needs to do this season to earn that second contract? Well, the first thing he's got to do is, is stay healthy because that he just had trouble doing that, and he knows it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why – He's added some weight and bulked up a little bit this offseason to kind of help him withstand some of the uh, pounding you take. Uh, you know, not all injuries are prevented, obviously, by putting on a little weight. I mean, I, I think uh, what happened to him in Jacksonville early in his career where a 300-pound guy fell on the back of his ankle and foot, uh, you know, you're not going to prevent that injury no matter how much you bulk up. So he's got to do a good job. Of, of staying out of harm's way himself. Uh, so he's got to stay healthy and he's got to be productive. I mean, his, his numbers, obviously, you can't always look at numbers, but he's going to have to be more productive throwing the football and and throw the ball downfield more with success, uh, you know, complete touchdown passes, uh, and just continue to develop as a leader. I, I, I like Marcus Mariota and certainly think he still has – great potential but um, it is year five and it's to the point now where I, I don't know if it's necessarily a make or break year just because there are avenues where you can keep a player even if you don't give them a contract after this year but he's got to convince the team that he is a guy you can count on and his career is headed in the right direction and uh, if he does that and you know, he's got all the ingredients to what you're looking for in franchise quarterback. He's a hardworking guy. He's a, he's a great you know, guy in the community. He's he's a leader. Uh, and again, I think he's a great. I think he's got potential to be a great quarterback. He's got to put it all together. And uh, and I, and hopefully for the Titans, that happens this year. 
Once again, that was Jim Wyatt, Titans Online's senior writer and editor. You can read his work every day on titansonline.com. Be sure to give Jim a follow on Twitter at jwyattsports. Jim, thanks again for the time. We really appreciate you joining us. Okay, you got it. Appreciate it. Once again, that was Jim Wyatt, senior writer and editor of titansonline.com. Zach, what did you think of our conversation uh, that we had with, with Jim Wyatt, a uh, guy that I think you and I really wanted to talk to since we put this podcast together? Yeah, we've been trying to get him since uh, 2017, I think, and uh, just couldn't work it out that summer. So we were really excited to get him this time. And you know what? I really appreciated and took away from from that interview. The highlight was the uh, Tyrone Calico shout out that he gave. I so Zach, uh, you know, of course, I conduct most of the interview, and I know Zach is is listening when we have these guests on because I know you know Zach works really hard to to put all this stuff together and and make sure the audio is is being recorded and everything. So I knew he was listening, and when he said Tyrone Calico, I almost I wanted to to jump in and and give give Zach a shout out, but um, yeah, good conversation with Jim. Jim's really high on AJ Brown at number fifty one. Uh, the Titans getting him in the second round. Brian, do you see that as a steal? Did you think he would go earlier? Yeah, I thought he would go a little bit earlier. I thought he was a higher second round pick. And I'm glad we got him, though. He, like we've talked about, I, I thought he was one of the better all-around wide receivers. He can do a lot of things well. He can play uh, all the different wide receiver positions. I spent a lot of time in the slot, too. Uh, good speed. A good blocker, good down the field catcher, cuts well. I mean, he does a lot of things that you're asking for. He, he sounds like an excellent number two wide receiver, which I, I think that's what I I and the and the team envisioned him being. Yeah, I think so. And, and this is year three for Corey Davis, so it's it's time for him to kind of take that next step. But if Corey Davis can be a true number one, and you have AJ Brown, I think. You know, whoever is playing quarterback in the future for the Titans, if they have those two receivers, they're set up for success right away. The Titans kind of had a, a strategic draft this year from my from my uh, point of view. I mean, they take A.J. Brown in the second round, and then they take a uh, right guard in the third round, Nate Davis from Charlotte, a guy that not maybe not a plug-and-play guy, but somebody who could play and maybe start this season. So they only – they had six overall picks – and they only spend two on offense. So it was a heavy defensive draft for the Titans. What did you make of Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle from Mississippi State, uh, falling to the Titans at 19? What did you think of that pick, Brian? Yeah, I like the pick a lot. I mean, you can't mention it without talking about both his ACL that was torn in the pre-draft process. Mm -hmm. I think he did that in February. So he's not going to be able to start at the beginning of the year. Hopefully by the end of the year, he'll, he'll be able to actually get on the field some. And then you have to talk about uh, what, what the NFL Network and ESPN and all the other networks were talking about, which uh, was, was the video of, um, of, of his incident with, uh, with some domestic violence type stuff. And, but he has gone about it the best way he can. He has owned up to that mistake, and he's called it a mistake, and, and he's, he's not having any other incidents that are like that. So I don't think he's a guy who comes with any huge red flags, but – when you factor that in with the ACL, you're getting a guy who many thought was a top five talent right. at a, severe, a significantly discounted price. And that's something as a Titans fan and as a fan of any NFL team, you, you always want your team uh, to draft guys that are coming in uh, and, and should be higher draft picks, but maybe they have one or two things that, that 
has given some other teams some concern. Yeah, last podcast, I mentioned the pre-draft event that Jacob Adams and I went to, uh, the charity event where Greg Cosell uh, talked about, you know, a lot of these prospects in this draft, and they talked about Jeffrey Simmons. And that night, I really did not think that he was high on the Titans' radar. You know, there was a pre-draft visit with Tennessee, but I just didn't think that they would go with him at 19. I also didn't think he'd be there at 19. I thought some team would have taken a flyer on him earlier. But Greg Cosell said that night that he thought that Simmons – was actually in him, this is one man's opinion, but he liked him as a defensive tackle prospect better than he liked Quinn and Williams just based on the tape alone. So this is a guy when he's healthy, maybe sometime in November, um, if he's a guy who can play, you know, have like a Nadam Kinsu uh, impact on the line, this is something the Titans definitely need. For sure. I, we need some, we, we don't need Jarrell Casey to do it all by himself on that defensive line. We, we need somebody to take some of the attention off of him and get some pass rush straight up the middle. That wraps up our draft conversation. This is going to be our last episode for some time just because really it, it is more exciting in the NFL, the period between after the Super Bowl and until the draft. There's so much going on to talk about between the combine and the actual draft itself and the lead-up. And now it's like all the players are on teams and there's nothing really to discuss until training camp. So, Zach, I wouldn't imagine we will have another episode until probably uh, late June, maybe early July when we start doing training camp conversations. But um, this will be our last uh, time to really talk NFL news for some time. But let's uh, take a trip around our league, CMB. Zach, you asked about some returning members and uh, who's coming back to the league. And it looks like almost everybody's coming back, right? Yeah, I just wanted to get a feel and see what the state was for everybody, if anybody was not coming back. But it appears that everyone is coming back and already had a few guys pay, so that was great. Ryan Risher commented on the post. He said, I'm in and going to win, which just is like a callback to uh, – do you remember that Packers – uh, Seahawks game where Matt Hasselbeck comes out and they're in overtime doing the coin toss and he said you know they, they win the coin toss the Seahawks and Hasselbeck it's a famous line where he says uh, we we want the ball and we're going to score hey, Seattle has won the toss we want the so, ball we're going to score <laughs> oh boy that was over the PA system here at Lambeau Field saying we want the ball and we're going to score and on the the first play of over, yeah, the first play of overtime is a pick six. So I, when I saw Rich's post, it kind of reminded me of that Hasselbeck moment. Oh man, yeah. So league fees. Let's, let's make sure we let's make sure we get a gif of that and play it every time that uh, Richard loses next season. I love that. It's a great idea. Uh, I don't know. I mean, based on last season, it may not happen as much as uh, we're accustomed to. Uh, but league fees, Zach just mentioned bunch of different ways to pay Zach. You can do it the old-fashioned way in person, which I think Jordan Iwan is in. That is his preferred route. So in person, you could do PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, or you can mail your fees to Zach, and I will not give out his home address on this public platform. Hopefully, Zach will appreciate that. Zach, who has paid so far? Oh, man. Uh, off the top of my head, Pace, you have. Um, I believe Ryan Risher did. Um, Matt Collins and Courtney did, and Jay Myrick, and I feel like there's one other person, maybe Jake. Jake Sandifer, yeah. Okay, yeah. So those guys paid, and um, we went up $5 this year uh, to help cover the cost for the podcast server. So we have to pay a 
an annual fee mm-hmm. um, to for, for all these episodes to be hosted and easily accessible for everybody in the league. So um, that's what the extra money will go towards. So hope everybody enjoys the podcast. Yeah. And you know, some of that money has to go back to the Hensons. I know Sarah kind of made a, uh, a threat that if Zach didn't pocket at least, you know, a couple extra dollars per episode that Zach would have to stop doing this. So I thought um, we weren't going to talk about that. Yeah. Blame, blame Sarah. If anything goes wrong with this podcast, she's not a fan um so she's made a lot of demands and we've listened to those so no i'm kidding um yeah no we've we've done this for the last three four how many is it four seasons zach we've done this yeah i i think that might be it it was 2015 yeah it was 2015 was when we started this because it was my last year at tech i remember that and so we yeah we've just done this we found ways to kind of improve it over time you know we used to do the old-fashioned way of we would record from your laptop audio, just open the laptop lid and just record that way and kind of huddle around your living room. And we found ways over the last couple of years to improve this. And yeah, with that uh, comes, you know, with a little bit of cost. So we appreciate everybody, you know, getting on board with this. Yep. All right. Um, Zach, I think this wraps up our episode. We, uh, Brian, really appreciate you, man, coming on during all these draft conversations and, uh, and talking about some of these prospects and the teams they've gone to. Um, we talked with Jim Wyatt of Titans online. Zach, do you have a tweet of the week? I don't, I don't have a tweet of the week. Do you have a tweet of the week? I do have a tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. So mine is a guy we talked about, um, a lot in this episode, I feel like, and this is Josh Rosen. This was a tweet from someone who, one of the luckiest people I've seen on Twitter, they just get their first name as the Twitter handle. It's at lane. So must have got that really early. But Lane tweets, the ESPN Arizona guy was just on WQAM and said Rosen had outside interests that some people were concerned about. When asked, like what, he answered, environmentalism. He's really into the environment. He asked Adidas to make his shoe out of recycled plastics. And it says, what a, what a monster. <laughs> oh, man. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, All right, guys, that's our tweet of the week. That is our episode, episode 111. Um, This was our, well, we may just call this our May episode because it might not be until June where we see you again, but really appreciate everybody for listening to our draft coverage and to Brian for coming on. And uh, Zach, we'll take it away. 